You're listening to the Cathedral Podcast. To learn more about Cathedral, like service times or how to get connected with a small group, visit wearecathedral.com. Today's message comes from Dr. Glenn Schultz. Morning. Uh, At least have enough water. Uh, Today, the, the topic is the one and only. And I just want you to know that I I approach preaching on the one and only with a lot of fear and trembling. Because to try and describe the one we've just sung about and wanting to know him more and more, uh, it is something that is daunting, to say the least. Uh, We'll be in Scripture an awful lot because that's the only way we can get a glimpse of the one and only is through the word. And I'm going to start uh, by looking at a verse in Proverbs. And it's Proverbs chapter 18. And in this verse, it says this, The mind of the prudent acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. Knowledge is a major theme in Scripture. In fact, the word knowledge is found 162 times in the word. It's something that is very, very important to God. And here it says that a prudent person or a a person who has some wisdom is one who receives and acquires knowledge. They possess it. And the reason why they possess it is because a wise person, his or her ears actually seeks out wisdom. When we want to hear things, we want to hear things that have knowledge. We don't want just just a lot of uh, murmuring and things in the background. We seek knowledge even with our listening. And what we've got to understand is, even though knowledge is important, I, I just think back to my 54 years teaching young people. Every teacher wants their students to gain knowledge. Because we give tests and things like this. Parents tell their kids, go to school, pay attention, study hard, and get good grades. Because we have this idea in our minds that if our kids are going to be successful, they've got to know something. They've got to have knowledge. But here's the problem. We are bombarded 24-7 with knowledge, with information. It was interesting to think back about what has happened in my lifetime. Just consider these statistics. When I was born, the volume of knowledge or information was projected to double every 25 years. So when I was born, what you could know would double every 25 years. In 2009, the uh, amount of knowledge that would double would take place every 5.32 years. Today, they're saying the amount of knowledge that we can learn doubles every 12 hours. And what has happened with this 24-7 bombardment of stuff to know, we have lost a very important ability in the lives of most adults. We have lost the ability to be able to discern, to know what is really important. And and when a society 
loses its ability to discern what is important, it ends up resulting in all the people making very poor decisions that are driven by emotions that are fueled by media and education. And that's what we find ourselves in today. But it's not new. It's something the Israelites were, were dealing with also. If we go to the uh, book of Hosea, Hosea chapter 4, we find God talking about his people. Now listen to what he says here. He says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And because you've rejected knowledge, I'm going to reject you. Now that's a pretty strong statement. Here we find an entire nation is being destroyed because they lack knowledge. If you go to the prophet Isaiah in chapter 5, verse 13, God says something else about his people. In this passage, he says, Therefore, my people have gone into captivity because they have no knowledge. Israel was in captivity. Why? Because they didn't know anything according to that passage. Here they're being destroyed for lack of knowledge and they're being taken captive because of no knowledge. I think that's where we are today. We're in the same condition in the United States as Israel was back in the days of the Old Testament prophets. We're being destroyed, folks, because we lack knowledge. Mass shootings in grocery stores, schools, and even churches. 2,000 innocent babies are murdered every day because of abortion. Murder rates in most cities are skyrocketing. Suicide is reaching epidemic proportions, especially among young people. Folks, we're watching us be, being destroyed before our very eyes. And we're also being taken captive, just like the Israelites. Why did Pastor Mike know that he had to address some very dangerous false ideas such as social justice and critical theory and transgenderism, which led to that six-week series titled, Where Do We Go From Here? Why did he do that? Because he saw Christians being taken captive by dangerous ideas. And it was happening then and it's still happening, not just across our country, but in the church. We're being taken captive because we don't have knowledge. When I, when I first read these verses, I started thinking that the Israelites must have been really uneducated. Uh, that they didn't know anything. Uh, because it says they, they were being destroyed for lack of knowledge and they were in captivity because they didn't have any knowledge. And I'm thinking, they didn't know anything. But then on my first trip to Israel, uh, it all changed there because when I can remember going and seeing the walls around Jerusalem. And, and, and I started seeing the massive stones that, that made up that wall. The Israelites were not ignorant. It was an engineering feat that was hard to imagine that Nehemiah could rebuild those walls in 52 days. For us to build something... To go in, out there on Dorchester and, 
thereby where we live, those where they're doing street work, it takes about two years <laughs> to put up a different signal. So they, they, they weren't ignorant. But what did it mean in Scripture when it says they're being destroyed for lack of knowledge? Same thing is happening with us today. We're, we're not an uneducated people. In fact, we're probably more educated than any other generation in U.S. history. There are more people with college degrees and postgraduate degrees and enough degrees to become thermometers that, that can drive us crazy. And yet, look at what's happening to us. So what is the knowledge that we're lacking or that we don't have that's causing us to be destroyed and being taken into captivity? Well, it's the same thing that was faced by the Israelites. And in order to answer that question, we actually have to go back into Scripture and look at the context of the verses that we read to you. Now let me go back to Isaiah chapter 5, verse 13, where it says, My people are led into captivity because they have no knowledge. It's not understood unless you put it in context with verse 14, which says this, But they do not regard the work of the Lord, nor consider the operation of His hands. What had allowed them to be taken captive? They didn't know God's works. Knew a lot of stuff, but they didn't know God's works. If we go back to Hosea chapter 4, and we look at that context of verse 6, it says the people are being destroyed for lack of knowledge. Go back to verse 1, and you find out what knowledge they were lacking, because in verse 1 it says this, Hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel. For the Lord brings a charge against the inhabitants of the land. There is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. That's it, folks. Why were they being destroyed? It wasn't because they didn't have knowledge of some things, but they didn't have knowledge of what was most important. They did not know God nor his works. Now, we need to clarify something in this passage. It says, there is no knowledge of God in the land. Now, that little phrase, in the land, doesn't refer to just a geographical area someplace on the earth. In the land meant in Israel, in God's people. So if we bring that up to today, it would say, there is no knowledge of God in the church. We know there's no knowledge of God out there in the lost world. But the reality is the reason why we're being destroyed and taken captive is because there's no knowledge of God in the church, in my life. It's something that is so, so important. In fact, when you go and look at the entire biblical worldview, there's four chapters that sort of make up God's big picture and plan for mankind. It's creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. All four of those chapters of God's worldview, God's big picture for you and me, are all based on and centered upon knowing God. If you start with creation, creation we know the account is found in Genesis chapter 1, 
God speaks this entire universe and everything that we see into existence out of nothing. We know what he did and we know how he did it, but then we've got to get back to why did he do it? And my challenge to you now today is to understand the only reason why God created everything is so that he would be known. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. If, if you want to know if God exists, all you got to do is look in the heavens. It declares his glory. But then Romans 1.20 really digs deep into it. And look what it says there. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. When we see ourselves being destroyed and taken captive by not knowing God, we have no excuse because we live in a created world that he expressed himself in and through. What we've got to realize if you go on and look at what other people have said about this, Bob Beasley makes this statement, all creation screams of God's existence. Creation reveals his personhood, his omnipotence, his oneness, creativity, reason, holiness, and beauty, etc., etc., etc. And then what he did after he created the universe, he creates you and I, man, men and women, in his likeness. Look what it says in Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. Two genders, folks. No one can give counsel to God. He didn't make a mistake. He created us male and female. And see, if we don't even know God as that type of God, then we get taken into captivity by all the transgenderism. And we're, we're being destroyed because we don't know God. So creation is all about knowing God. But then we know that the fall came. And when the fall came, sin entered the world. All mankind died spiritually. We're all separated from God. And guess what? It impacts our ability to know God. Look what, again, we find in Well, let me, let me go back and just <laughs> pick up a couple questions before we go into the fall. J.I. Packer went in. He said that in his book, Knowing God, he says there are a series of questions that we need to be able to answer and we need to go and uh, know what God's word says about it. And here's the questions he puts in his book, Knowing God. He, he goes and he says... What were we made for? Question. Answer. To know God. Packer asks the question, what aim should we set for ourselves in life? What should be your goal in life? Guess what? Answer. To know God. Question. What is the best thing in life that brings more joy, delight, and contentment than anything else? Knowing God. Are we certain of that? Is that what we really pursue? Well, look what Jeremiah 
9.3 says about what, how God looks at this. He says, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me. I can't glory in my riches. I can't glory in my wisdom. No, the thing that gives me satisfaction that I can glory in is the fact that I can know and understand God. Wow, that's amazing. Packer goes on and says, once you become aware that the main business you are here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall in place on their own accord. He says, disregard the study of God and you sentence yourself to stumble and blunder through this life blindfolded with no sense and direction and no understanding of what surrounds us. I run into Christians all the time who are so confused. And why? Because they haven't taken time to study and know God. And so we're stumbling blindfolded trying to make sense in this lost and dark world. He finished up by saying the Bible says that we must know God in the manner of a son knowing his father, a wife knowing her husband, a subject knowing his king, and a sheep knowing his shepherd. Jonathan Edwards says of all the knowledge that we can ever obtain, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves are the most important. He who does not know him knows nothing else as it truly is. You cannot understand this world. You cannot understand what's going on if you don't know God. When I look at it, I can't understand it. There's times I sit down and say, God, you've got to show me because I can't make sense out of this. It, it, it just blows my mind. But yet when I know God, then I get understanding. So once we understand creation, then we can get to the fall. And then once the fall came and sin entered and we're separated from God and we can't understand, you know, who he is anymore because the knowledge of God goes out of our minds. Look at how it impacts us. Go back to Romans chapter 1, verses 21 and 23 says this. Although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts. What we find a lot of going on in our world today, there's a lot of futility in what men are thinking. Why? Because they wouldn't retain God's knowledge. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they really think they're smart. They became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Then you go down to verse 28. It says this, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. When we are fallen, when we're in our sinful state before salvation, we did not want to retain God in our knowledge. You bring up God out there in the world and you're going to be attacked. Because they don't want God in their knowledge. Why? Because if you admit there's a God, then you're accountable to God. And they don't want to be accountable to God. Lost people do not want to be accountable to God. So they, they do not want to retain him in knowledge. They don't want him in the public square. They don't want him in our laws. 
They don't want them in our schools. They don't want the knowledge of God. And so then guess what God does? He gives us over to what we want, to a debased mind, to do those things which aren't, are not fitting. And then listen to how he describes the lost world without knowing God. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They're whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who... Knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death. Now what Paul just described is what we see in culture today. We, we see this. Inventors of evil. There are people inventing things that are so evil I, I, I couldn't even have them in my mind five, ten years ago. And what it is saying here, they know, we know that those who do those things deserve death. But look what it says. Not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. There are Christians who are embracing some of the things that Paul just described as a lost world without a knowledge of God. We're in a mess because of the fall. But good news, redemption was provided by Christ. And with redemption, everything changed. What it says in scripture is, we regained our ability to know God. When I was in that lost condition as a sinner, deserving death and hell for all of eternity, I realized that Christ died on the cross for my sin. And he rose from the grave with resurrection power to defeat death and the hell. And anybody who believes on him gets eternal life. And guess what? Eternal life is more than just sometime up in the future being in heaven with God. Jesus, when he was agonizing in the garden, says, And this is eternal life that they may know you, the true God. The fact that many in here are born again, we're believers in Christ. That means we have the ability once again to know God. We can know him personally and intimately. We've got to understand that. That is the whole hope of redemption. And once we're saved, the last chapter, once you and I know the true God, the one and only, then we've got a responsibility to go out into this lost world and take the knowledge of God and the life-saving experience that he brings to people out into a lost world. See, especially with our own family, especially with our own children, what we've got to focus on is make sure that they understand they should know God more than anything else in life. Throughout human history, there has been this battle going on between God and Satan. God works for only one purpose. He works in order to be known. I'm going to say that again. 
God works here on earth in our lives for one purpose, to be known. The reason why I say that, he worked the works of creation so he would be known. We know that he's immutable. He doesn't change, so he doesn't change his motives. So he works today for the same purpose so that he can be known. It's not so that he can bless me. He works so he can be known by me. He works so others can know him. Let me prove this by walking through scripture. If you go to Exodus chapter 14, the Israelites have just escaped bondage. They're on their way to uh, the promised land and they're right there by the Red Sea. And listen to what God says in verses 3 and 4 of Exodus 14. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they're bewildered by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so he will pursue them. And I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And if you go down a little bit further, you find here's what happened in verse 15. Children of Israel are backed up against the promised land saying, what are we going to do? And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward, but lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they shall follow them. And so I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I gain honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. God says, I'm going to do a work that it's unbelievable. You're going to walk through a Red Sea on dry ground. And then I'm going to destroy your enemies. Not, not just because you're a special people. No, no. Because I want even all the Egyptians to know that I'm God. If you go to 1 Samuel 17, David is sent by his father to the battlefield to check on his brothers who are with the Israeli army fighting the, uh, the Philistines. When David gets there, he sees this big guy stand up and start blaspheming God, defying God, mocking Israel. And David wonders, why isn't anybody taking this guy out? And finally he says, you know, if you're not going to do it, I will. And he goes out, and we know the story of David and Goliath. But what happens, we, we usually tell this story with this kind of motivation. We, we say, well, David defeated Goliath to prove that the little Christian can beat the big giant. And I really believe in all my heart that if that would have been David's motive, he would have died that day. If he would have gone and say, you know what? I'm going to kill you, Goliath, to show that the little Christian is bigger than you. He would have died. But if you look at his real motivation, and you find that in uh, 1 Samuel 17, then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you, and this day I will give the carcass of the camp of the Philistines to the birds 
uh, of the air and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that David is good with his slingshot. No, it doesn't say that. That all the earth will know that there is a God in Israel. You want God to do a work in your life, in your home? Then you should go and live your life and raise your home in a way that will prove to the lost world that there's a God in your life and in your home. When that's your motivation, God, I want my neighbors to know that you're God, you're Lord of this house. We're not going to be perfect, but our motivation has to be so that God is known. One other passage in 1 Kings chapter 18. Elijah is just... They've just gone through in Israel, Judah, uh, a three-year drought. Of course, Elijah caused it by saying it's not going to rain till I say so. And uh, now he's confronted King Ahab again. And, and he tells King Ahab, he says, Let, let's, let's do a contest. You bring all your false prophets of Baal and Asherah up to Mount Carmel. I'll come and I'll represent God Almighty. And we'll have a contest, and whoever fixes a sacrifice on an altar and prays to their God, and that God sends down fire, that's the God who's the true God. And Elijah agree, or Ahab agrees, and they go up on the mount. And before the contest begins, Elijah goes over to Israel. He goes over to God's people. And listen to what he says. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. Now listen to the response. But the people answered him not a word. The people were being destroyed by false worship. They were in a drought. Water was scarce. People were dying. And Elijah says, are you going to serve God or are you going to serve Baal? They don't say a word. Why? Because they didn't know God. And when you don't know God, you don't trust God. And if you don't trust God, you don't follow God. So when he says, who are you going to serve? Are you going to follow God? If he's God, let's follow him. Not a word. Because we don't know him. So Elijah, after the prophets of Baal and Asherah fail to get fire to come down, he goes to work and he repairs the altar of the Lord, fixes the sacrifice on it, and he prays. And God not only sends fire to consume the sacrifice, it consumed the wood, it consumed and burnt the stones and the water in the trench. But why did he do that? Listen to his prayer to God. Hear me, O Lord, hear me that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. God, I want you to send fire, not, not to prove that I'm a better prophet than those. I want you to send fire because I, I want your people to know you again. I, I want them to know you like a father knows a son. Please, Lord, send fire and we know fire came. That's Old Testament. 
What about today? Does God still work the same way? Is that still his motive? Maybe it's changed since Christ came. Well, let's go back to Malachi chapter six, or chapter 3, verse 6. And here's what the Lord says about himself. He says, I am the Lord. I do not change. If I created this world so I'd be known, if I worked all the way through the Old Testament and New Testament so I'd be known, guess what? I'm going to work today so I'll be known. I'll bring judgment where I need to bring judgment. I, I will bless where I need to bless, but I'm only doing whatever I do so that I will be known as the Lord of creation and this universe. What we've got to understand is, is it really this important to God that we know him? I mean, I mean, if we're saved and we come to church and we, you know, is it that important that we really know him? Again, we've got to look at scripture for the answer. In Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, God says this, For I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And I desire the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. We had a really sweet time singing about God this morning, right? You know, God says, I desire you to know me more than you sing about me. See, that's what burnt offerings are. They're your religious services and sacrifices. I'm glad you're here God says, but you know what? Even more than being here, I want you to know me. I, I, I want you to know me more than anything else in life. Now, Paul understood this, and he knew that this was important for every Christian to understand. So in Ephesians 1, 16 through 17, here's how he prayed for the Ephesian Christians. I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. You want to pray something for your children and grandchildren? Pray that God will give them revelation in who he is. That they'll know him. That's the only way they're going to be able to survive this world they're going out into. To the Colossian Christians, Paul prayed a similar prayer. He said, for this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. Every day he was praying this for the Colossian Christians. And to ask that you be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of of the Lord. Increasing in the knowledge of the Lord. The education we give our kids should have this as its primary focus. One of the biblical principles that I have in my book, Kingdom Education, says the education of children and youth must have as its primary focus the increase in the knowledge of God. Is that a priority? In the education you give your kids at home, here at church, at school, God says that has to be the highest focus we do. It's interesting that 
when you go and look at writers in the past, I, I think of uh, John Milton, 1600s. He wrote Paradise Lost, Paradise Regained. Tremendous Christian. He, he makes the statement that the end of education is to repair the ruins of our first parents. Adam and Eve messed up. We're, we're suffering from those ruins of our first parents. And how do we repair the ruins of our first parents? So that we would know God aright, to love him, to be like him, to imitate him. Here's a reality, folks. I cannot love God if I don't know him. I cannot be like him if I don't know him. I cannot imitate him if I don't know him. See, all the things we, we want in our life, we can't have and we can't do unless we know him. When, when you think of the Ten Commandments, the first three Ten Commandments are all about knowing God. Look what it says. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not worship them or serve them. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. What we've got to understand is God is saying, you better know me for who I am. I am the one and only. There's no one other than me. There's no one above me, no one below me. I'm it. You've got to know me. Don't, don't have a false image of me. That's what these commandments are saying. Because if you have a false image of God, two things result. Number one, if we don't know God for who he is, we have a false image of him, then we obscure part of his glory. We are not letting the fullness of God be magnified around us. But even more dangerous is if we have a false image of God, it can lead to wrong actions. I can remember once a group of seniors at a school I was at, I went into their Bible class and I said, I want you to sit down and write a description of the God you serve. And a lot of the students had this image of God, this description of God. He's a God of love, forgiveness, and mercy. But that's it. That was their total picture of God. God is a God of love, forgiveness, and mercy. Now, he's all three of those. But see, when you see God as only a God of love, mercy, and forgiveness, guess what? You don't have to obey. Because all you got to do is ask for forgiveness, and because he's merciful and loving, he's got to forgive you. There's no consequences. But see, what happens, we don't have a full picture of who God is because he's also holy. He's also just. He's also wrathful. He's also jealous for his people. So we've got to have the proper image of God. Martin Luther made the statement that when anyone depicts God differently from the way he is, he is fashioning an idol. I hope I have laid a case to make you understand 
that the most important thing you and I can know in life is to know Him, the one and only. But then the question is begged to be answered. Well, how do I get to know Him that way? There's only one way to know Him. He has revealed Himself to us in two books that He has written. Those two books are creation and the Bible. That's the only way you're going to get to know Him. And that means that what we've got to do as individual believers, as the body of Christ, we must read and study both books every single day. We've got to have a desire to know Him. And that means we've got to dig deep into His Word to find out what He's really like. If you were to look at my notes you would see that I use some of the techniques that are common in our language on how to emphasize points. I, I've got some of my notes are in bold print. Those are things that I know are important. I've got to make that point when I'm speaking. I put some in italics. Uh, I've got some that are underlined words. I've got some that have three or four exclamation points after it to make that point emphasis. Well, what you've got to find out and what you have to understand, in the Jews, they also had some techniques by which they would emphasize very important information. Remember, one of the key things to surviving life is to be able to discern to know what's really important. And, and the Jews had one technique that you find in Scripture in several places. It is verbal repetition. When Paul was warning the Galatian Christians to not believe any gospel that was not the gospel of Christ, he wrote, now I say this unto you. You know, if anybody brings a gospel other than the gospel we brought, he's accursed. But then guess what he does? He says, and again I say unto you, if anyone brings a gospel. What he was saying is, it's important but it's even more important because I'm going to repeat it. Now, Jesus, when he was walking this earth, he did something that was even more remarkable to make a point. Now, every word that Jesus spoke was important. But there were some things that he was going to speak that he wanted his listeners to know were really important. So before he said it, he would say something like this. Truly, truly. Verily, verily. Now, now, when his disciples heard that, their ears per, perked up and they said, okay, he's about to say something that we better not forget. In Scripture, when they describe the one and only, there is only one attribute, one characteristic of Almighty God that is ever raised not to the, you know, double superlative, but to the triple superlative. And we sang about that this morning. The only characteristic of God that ever gets to that level of importance is that God is holy, holy, holy. Not that God is love, 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 mercy, 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 justice, justice, justice. No. He's holy, 
holy, holy. See, holiness defines all of his other attributes. He's not a mushy, loving God. He loves us with a holy love. He executes justice with a holy justice. He gives mercy from a holy condition. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. What we've got to understand as we read the scriptures, we've got to answer a couple questions. Do you know him? I mean, do you know the one and the only? And are you determined to grow in your knowledge of God and live your life in line with who he really is? As we walk out of here, I pray that every person in here will know the one and only. You've been listening to the Cathedral Podcast. If you were encouraged by today's message, leave us a rating and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any questions about today's message or just want to reach out, send an email to questions at cathedralemail.com. Thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Have a blessed week.